Attention, Attention listeners. Listen, 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 listen. We have we an advisory for the 5 o'clock episode of Dub 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 of the Iron Fortress. Warning. This episode contains language and situations that are not appropriate for younger listeners. Please be advised. This episode contains spoilers for the entirety of Cabinary of the Iron Fortress. Tickets may be placed on hold if you so desire to catch up beforehand. This episode contains opinions that reflect the participants and not Dub Tuck as a whole. Please be aware of this as you listen. This has been a Dub Talk Advisor. Please enjoy your ride. Are you human or Cabane? Neither. I'm a Cabanary! Hello, weary travelers, and welcome to Dub Talk, uh, <clears throat> a show where a bunch of nerds ride the rails and talk about English dubs from station to station. Uh, in case these train puns don't tip you off yet, tonight we're covering Cabanaria the Iron Fortress, a magical combination of horror and action and zombies and trains and post-industrial Japan. It's a lot, and it's absolutely a mess, and back but muscles. it's a blast. <laughs> We, we swear this is an attack on Titan. Stop, don't come after us. <laughs> uh, I feel weird as the person who owns, like, the Trinity of Wit Studio Attack on Titan clones, and that I own Attack on Titan, Seraph of the End, and this. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, what? <laughs> Empire of Corpses? That wasn't really Attack on Titan. But... No, but Seraph of the End is! Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, in any case, um, I am your conductor and engineer for this evening, Roots of Justice. And uh, joining me today, punching your ticket, is our good friend Lack. All aboard! All aboard! Uh, operating our snack car is Jet. Welcome to my life as a commentary. <laughs> oh, I knew it was. <laughs> You'll understand that joke a little later in the evening, folks. <laughs> and um, handling our sightseeing duties is none other than Megan. If you look to the left, death! If you look to the right, <laughs> more death! Look to the light? Right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I heard light. I was like, what? And if you what? look to the light, you're probably dead. <laughs> <laughs> or in a gritty western reboot of a jump game. <laughs> 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 Oh dear. Can the Kabanari be a playable character in that game? Can the train <laughs> They're not shown in jump. <laughs> they can be in my heart. Oh, Attack on Titan any... was almost shown in jump, but But in any case, um you you guys probably want to know what we're talking about, aren't don't you? Attack on uh, trains. <laughs> so um Who are you talking is... to there, Roots? <laughs> huh? I was like, I'm talking ta- to the audience. Okay, alright. <laughs> there was a I'm talking there. directly to you. <laughs> Put your pants on, you filthy animals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the plot is basically on an island nation called Hinamoto. A bunch of, like, zombies with iron, iron bones called Kabane are wreaking havoc everywhere. And in order to kind of protect the population... Uh, trains run back and forth from station town to station town. 
Well, our uh, our protagonist Ikoma is an is basically a station engineer who repairs these trains, and then his town gets attacked by the Kabane, and he gets bitten by one of the Kabane. He starts becoming a Kabane, but he's able to stop the process and become what is known as a Kabaneri. So he ends up riding on the Kotetsujo, uh, a train heading to the, the the capital station city of Kongoku. Uh, so that one of the passengers can, I guess, deliver an important message. I don't think it's ever made really clear what what exactly the goal of getting to Kongoku really is. But uh, To not die? Yeah, I think, to like, die. you know, escape zombie horde, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Because All right, trains. so woo I need to get a little something out of the way. This is kind of an odd dub for us to cover. <clears throat> now, Crunchyroll ended up licensing the show, and Funimation ended up distributing. But there's a third company who's basically handling the streaming rights, and that is Amazon. Um, as such, uh, the dub rights to the the streaming rights to the dub are not available to anyone, probably because of, like, rights conflicts between the three companies. Um, however, comma, I, I do kind of have to start this out with a little bit of a statement before we actually get into the ADR crew and all that. So, given the unique circumstances of the dub we are reviewing today, I feel like some things need to, <clears throat> to be said basically a bit out of order. Um, likely due to rights, uh, getting your hands on the dub is complicated. Despite being commissioned by Crunchyroll and distributed by Funimation, the only way to get access to the dub is buying the Blu-ray. Now, the easy thing to do in this situation would be to be angry at Amazon over this, but honestly, like, everyone in this situation is within their rights and... It is what it is. It sucks, but it is what it is. Nothing technically illegal is going on right now. Right. Yeah. Um, it did make this episode a little hard to coordinate because I... Kind of a little bit of a fun fact, this was originally supposed to be recorded and released before Anime Boston, but getting copies out to everybody to review... Took a it, little bit. Yeah, it took a little bit of time. However, this episode is important to me in order to get it out. We are recording this on June 10th, 2018. And at the moment, the show is at its cheapest $32.99 for the standard edition and $51.88 for the limited edition on Amazon. It's important to me that if you're required to pay actual money for a dub, we should probably, as a show, we, we should probably be responsible to tell you how it is. I mean, you, you get reviews for other aspects of the quality of the product. Why not the duck? Mm -hmm. yeah, that, that, that's fair. Mm -hmm. um, also, now that fellow Noitamina slash Amazon series Scum's Wish has been licensed by Sentai Filmworks for home video and is getting a dub, I, I think it's also important that decision makers from Amazon, as well as people like Sentai, Funimation, Crunchyroll, Viz... And, you know, if any of the Japanese lis licensors happen to be listening to this episode, I kind of want them to know we're talking about this. And, you know, if so that if things like Inuyashiki, Altair, After the Rain, 
especially something like Rage of Bahamut, Virgin Soul. And, uh, you, you know, a, a certain, like, big joke franchise coming in, coming in January, uh, in Neverland, it's, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Jets totally um, not have been waiting for this day for a couple of years. <laughs> I, I just think it's personally my responsibility as, as a member of a show that talks about dubs to make sure, like, some of these shows that would really be helped by having a dub, that they don't fall through the cracks. Hint, hint, Vinland Saga and Dororo. Hint, hint. <laughs> well, if Vinland Saga doesn't at least get a dub, then I'm going to cry. I would be very surprised if Vinland Saga did not get a dub. Uh, so in any case, now that we have that out of the way, shall we begin with our ADR stat? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes. All aboard. Or wait, that's last job. All, ab- all aboard the hype train. <laughs> woo <Woo-hoo! laughs> I'll aboard the murder hype train. Yeah. They use that thing as a battering ram, and it's fucking awesome. Hey, Masahiro Sakurai is here. Alright, so um, we have two ADR directors to talk about today. Uh, you have Suzanne Goldish, who was the director for dubs such as Bungo Stray Dogs. A lot of the K franchise, I think like all of it, actually. Yeah, all of it. And uh, Tiger and Bunny. And we also have Ryan Johnston, who was one of the directors involved with uh, Digimon Adventure Try and Terraformers. Uh, he's also, I'm pretty sure he's still, like, the current achievement guy. Probably. I, I didn't see it in his credits, but that could very well be. Yeah, because, um, I know it's just like, if I recall, he took over it since uh, Mary Elizabeth McLean is gone, but... Ah. Uh, so, handling adaptation for the scripts, we have Rob Blatt, who did some of the scripts for Bungo Stray Dogs, as well as Kikaishi. Jet, why don't you, um, why don't you tell us how you feel about the direction of script writing? Okay, um, so I'll start with the script first, as I don't have, like, much in particular to say here. Um, I actually watched the original simulcast on Amazon, because I'm a crazy person, and as far as I can recall, this was a pretty straight translation of that. Um, one thing I did appreciate, though, is that even though this is a very, like, ye olde japan flavor type of environment, uh, the dialogue had enough energy to it to, you know, maintain the more action movie vibe the series is kind of going for. Um, so I'm glad that Rob Blatt was able to pull that off. As far as direction goes, at this point, Suzanne Goldis has kind of shown to be a very consistent director. And even though she's been attached to, like, several projects that came out this year, some of which we haven't covered yet, um, all of them have sounded pretty good so far, and this one was no different. Even though this show is obviously very inspired from Attack on Titan, I didn't want a dub that sounded like an exact copy of that, and she and Ryan were able to take that same level of high energy and uh, channel it in a different direction, giving us a variety of performance styles, and while I can't quite, you know, say I would put this exactly up there with Attack on Titan, when it comes to that level of delivery... Uh, the overall product was very strong, and I had a very fun time with this, so kudos to all these fine individuals. Do you want me to go next? Um, sure, why don't you go next? Alright, um, I'm gonna agree with Jet on the aspect that I'm very happy this did not attempt to just be Attack on Titan's dub. Um, there was a lot of chances where they could have found actors who match the vocal ranges of people like Bryce Pappenbrook, Tuna Nishimura, 
uh, Josh Greeley, trying to think of some, like, uh, Brent April, like, you could have very much tried to go for that aspect. And I'm very happy that they didn't, and that this show, uh, contains its own vibe in its dub. I'm gonna say it right now, I actually enjoy this show a little bit more than I enjoy Attack on Titan. I'm not gonna say it's a better show, but I'm gonna say I had a lot more fun with this show than I do have watching Attack on Titan. Um, <laughs> I feel the same way about Sarah for the End, because I feel like those Kabinari and uh, Sarah for the End both have something that Attack on Titan doesn't, and that's a sense of humor. Yeah, I mean, Attack on Titan's just so drab it's all the very time. Dr- it's very dry at times. I, 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 mean, I mean, we have Sasha, but she can't carry the show by herself, so... <laughs> Yeah, Sasha, Sasha can Sasha and Connie can't carry the show. Um, How can you be drab when you have some of the events that happen at the very end of the show? <laughs> but anyway, back to what I was saying. So I'm very happy they didn't go for that. Um, I do feel like because of the time period, I was expecting the dialogue to not. I don't know. I don't think the dialogue had any slang, but like they used the term "man" a little bit and stuff, and that kind of threw me, but overall I did feel the tone was very consistent for the time period they were in. Um, this isn't like Attack on Titan where you are put in a fantasy a fantasy world. There is some aspect to a semi-realism in here. This is very steampunk to me. I mean, for God's sakes, there's a steampunk bow and arrow and it's the fucking coolest thing ever. I know, right? I, I fucking love this show. Um... <laughs> I, I really agree, though, on Suzanne Goldish, though, becoming a very consistent director that I've seen in a lot of her projects. I do... I It's hard, because for me, I was on the other Susan Goldish show that we did this year, uh, which was Bungo Stray Dogs, and I like that dub a lot. And I also really, really like this, and it's a really big shame that you have to buy it to see it. I say this as somebody who planked down for this completely blind by, because I'm a psycho. But yeah, no, I really enjoyed the direction, and I think the biggest thing that they had to nail was don't be the Attack on Titan stub. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Black? Uh, yeah, so, um, going off of what, uh, you guys said before, yeah, I think one of the most interesting aspects is the fact that it, in spite of how obvious it is to make Attack on Titan, like, comparisons to it, the dub itself really does not, like, if evoke a lot of anything we saw from the Attack on Titan dub. I think it helps the fact that it was a different, you know, dubbing studio. And the fact that, yeah, this one seemed to be a little less quippy than Attack on Titan was, because it didn't have J. Michael Tatum's dialogue in it. It also, it it seemed to take itself a little bit too seriously in some areas, but I, I get why they did that, because honestly, I think that's one of the strengths of this series, is actually how willing it is to take itself seriously. (laughs) <laughs> there's the, the certain moments where I, I think a, another great strength of this dub is the fact that when people got angry or sad they just just unleashed it the actors were just not holding anything back like they yelled and they yelled loud like they were not holding anything in and I like that a lot yeah as far as so far that's pretty much all I have to say about the direction so. I find it really funny that you brought up how loud everyone yelled, because I actually, honest to God, thought my copy had a mix issue on it. Really? And then I realized that my t- I thought my TV had been turned all the way up, and then I think I went to watch, like, Toonami one night, and I was like, wait a minute, 
Oh my god, I'm so dumb. My TV's down by like not like a few knocks. <laughs> <laughs> I felt really. I was like, oh my god, I'm such an asshole to the fix engineer. That's funny. <laughs> That's really funny. Please don't be assholes to engineers and mix people. <laughs> The mix engineers are the real heroes of the dub. You're the real MVP. <laughs> All right, I'm good. Okay. Um, so one thing I really liked about the scripts and the direction is it made the world kind of feel alive. It's, it's hard for me to say that because, you know, most of the show takes place on basically like a Snowpiercer train where, like, a chunk of whatever humanity is left is basically on it just to go. But, um, like, it, everybody who spoke sounded like they had a purpose to what they were saying. It, and there were odd moments of, like, snappy banner that I really, I don't, I didn't expect to hear it in, like, an action horror anime, but it was really welcome. And, um, going off of what, Megan and Lax said, I, I really do appreciate that they didn't make this California Attack on Titan. Uh, not just in the in the script writing and direction, but in the casting as well. I think there's basically like one, maybe two actors who cross over in the show, between the two shows. And I, I thought that was a really welcome touch. I like, don't get me wrong, I like Bryce Pappenbrook, but if he were both Aaron and Ikoma, I would be annoyed. So, overall, I, I really like the direction, and I really like the script writing. So, are you guys ready to move on to our uh, our first batch of sort of kind of engineers and yes. people with jobs on the sure. train? Woo-woo! Alright, so first off, we've got sort of Ikoma's engineering buddy, uh, Takumi. Sort of, a, sort of a goofy kid who, like, he gets a lot of the moments of humor and brevity in the show. I, I really like him. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have sort of a fair-weather friend of Ikoma's, uh, Sukari. He acts like a buddy every once in a while, but he... in the it, He's not afraid to throw somebody under the bus. Let's be honest. And um, we sort of have... She uh, she's another one of the engineers in the in sort of the shanty town Ikoma lived in in the beginning of the show, but when she gets on the uh, Kotetsu Joe, she sort of she sort of takes on like the pseudo den mother of a bunch of orphans, uh, Kakuja, or I'm sorry, Kajika. And okay, so Takumi is played by Ben Diskin, who you would know as Haida and Agretzko. The Young Joseph Joe Star and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Numbers 1 and 2 in Codename Kids Next Door, and Baby Gonzo in the 2018 version of Muppet Babies. <laughs> We're going to keep bringing that up until it stops being funny to us. <laughs> I don't think it's funny. I think it's awesome. Like, it's so cool. <laughs> uh, like I really like Muppet Babies, and I, I like the new one. It's cute. Uh, but moving on, uh, Sukari is played by Tom Gibbous. Uh, he doesn't really have a lot of anime roles. Um, I really only found two prominent ones. Uh, he plays Shikamaru Nara in Naruto. And a personal favorite of mine, please, please discotheque li- license rescue this show. He played Mushra in Shinzo. Uh, I vaguely remember that, Dub. <laughs> like, if any of you 
people out there listening remember Shinzo, like, put in the comments section, like, the name of Mushra's two Terran buddies and who play them in the dub. I can't give you a prize, but... You would definitely Sh- get respect. Did they used respect. to play Shinzo on like Disney XD? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I like I mostly just remember the theme song. <laughs> yeah, that was like one of the the Jetix mainstays. Uh, but moving on to our last character in the bunch, uh, Kajika is played by uh, Colleen O'Shaughnessy, who you would know as Sora in basically all three installments of Digimon Adventure. Uh, she's Ino Yamanaka in Naruto, uh, Ana Kushina in K, and she's Noku Odorshank in Bleach. So, Jet? Okay, um, Take us away. Alright. Uh, so, I don't really have too much to say about Colleen since, uh, Kajika didn't really have, like, a whole lot to do. Um, but I thought she did, but I thought she did fine as he played her, you know, like, supportive kind of, like, dead mother role, whatever. Uh, coming off of the tracks thing, and um, yeah, I think what she needed to, and uh, and and you know when you're playing a kind of like background based character, that's uh, uh, that's important. So I'm glad she wasn't distracting. Um, Tom Gibbs as Hikari was kind of interesting because uh, like everyone here, I mostly just kind of know him as Shikamaru, and uh, since Shikamaru was the resident sassy child of Naruto as well as like the actual best dad in Boruto. Like, seriously, Borto's out of the one arm wonder need to take some points from this guy. Spend time with your children. (laughs) (laughs) Spend time with your kid, you deadbeat Hokage. I'm already gonna say this, that Shikamaru's son is easily the best character because my favorite Sayu plays him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so anyway, he was a sassy guy there, so um, him being the sassy one here was a good fit. And uh, he played that uh, very nonchalant, kind of bitter attitude very well. Uh, my favorite bit from him was definitely that scene where he, like, very badly tries to console a child. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, that was what pretty funny. Dick. <laughs> oh, I have another favorite scene with him. Yeah, uh, so I really appreciate, like, how blunt his delivery was. And it really kind of, you know, sold me on this guy's worldview. And it's part of why that whole, like, fake betrayal thing didn't come off as, like, too big a surprise for me. Um, I also enjoyed Ben Disk and his Takami, though, um, I was a little surprised it wasn't Bryce Pappenbrook, mostly because, uh, Yuki Kaiji played Takami in a Japanese version, and that seemed like a pretty obvious in-joke. Uh, but like I said before, I wanted this to sound distinct from Attack on Titan, so I'm actually kind of glad they didn't pull that. Um... But anyway, I've gotten pretty used to hearing Ben Disk in more, like, central roles recently. So to see him play a supporting character was, you know, a pretty nice change of pace. I did a good job of, you know, playing, like, the supportive bro. Uh, a lot of his interactions when he come are pretty funny. And you can also, you know, like, really tell when he's concerned for him. And there's, like, a really strong sense of sincerity in Ben's performance. And uh, it, it kind of makes uh, what happens in talk to me in the end a little bit harder. But, um, yeah. Uh... I think that's basically it for me. I guess I'll go next. Uh, so, I liked Colleen O'Shaughnessy as uh, Kikuja? Yeah, Kikuja? Uh, Kajika. Kajika. Uh, some of my favorite stuff for her is when uh, they're in the town for Tanabata. And she goes to Mumei and is like, Hey Mumei, I need you to protect me as we go around town. And then it cuts to just Colleen O'Shaughnessy being like the world's greatest shark. Where she keeps yelling at people about food. 
this is this melon's <laughs> half rotted. What do you mean I'm gonna pay this much for it? And it was really nice to see that switch flip in her between like being kind of the kind motherly one to all the kids and then just being an absolute badass in the market. And then she also is really good at when she needs to um be not only a friend but like a moral center to Mume. And I think Colleen Ursonacy really wraps all of that up in it. Um sorry, hold on. I have I have a thing for names because I'm bad with names. I'm so sorry. Uh Tom Gibbs as Sukari. I, I had kind of pushed Ruth into talking about Sukari. I'm like, he's pretty prominent in the intro. We need to talk about Sukari. And I'm I glad like I put him in, by the way. He's such a shithead. Um, <laughs> my favorite interaction with him is, I think it's in episode three, whether they stop the train to do the, the thing for, um, to burn the big pile for their dead. And um, Yukina's like, God, you're such an asshole to him. And he's like, yeah, I know. Like, she I just call- love that scene. And it, it just, the, just the delivery of, oh yeah, I know, sold me on his character. Because this guy knows he's a piece of shit, and he just doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, you know what? This is gonna get me to survive. And Tom gives... And I like that he's not what I remember Shikamaru sounding like, because it's been a hot minute since I've watched Naruto. Um, and... Shikamaru, Shikamaru isn't an asshole. He's just fucking done with everybody. <laughs> this guy is an asshole who is done with everyone. So there's that extra layer. And then, oh, Ben Diskins, you, you actual precious angel in this show. <laughs> God, Takumi is such a bro. I would go into battle with that dude. Like, God, Ben just got so much out of him in less... Just got so much out of that character. And I was really actually pleasantly surprised that that was Ben Diskins because like the last show I watched Ben Diskins in he was a total loser because he was Haida in Negretzko in <laughs> <laughs> and just getting to hear him kind of be like and one thing I'm also going to appreciate is that they Takumi's a bigger boy Takumi's a big dude like he's kind of fat and they didn't give him like kind of a slower uh, tone of voice then they did, like, he doesn't sound like he's, like, kind of got the big fat guy voice. Yeah. Uh, which is something I really appreciate. He sounds at the same register of a teenage boy or, like, I want to say he's, like, somewhere between 16 to 18. I know Probably. I looked up, I think I looked up one character and when, when we get to him, I'm bringing up how old he is. Oh, yeah. Um, that he sounded... Like he was in the same range as Ikuma and Sukari, and that he didn't kind of sound like hey, like he didn't have like the the fat kid voice. So I appreciate that out of this. Hey, buddy, you gonna eat that grilled cheese? Star- yeah, basically. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace was the most. This my son. <laughs> Mr. Plinkett, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Thank in you. his cameo appearance. I think it was really great to be here. Go ahead, these pizza rolls. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm done. Okay. He's uh he's seventeen, by the way. Megan. Okay, he okay, he is seventeen. I figured he was like somewhere between like seventeen and like nineteen. Like seventeen yeah. and nineteen years old. Uh I really don't have that much to add, except it was really nice to hear Ben Diskin play an everyman again for once, because he Lately, he hasn't been playing Everyman, 
as much as he used to. So, so seeing that is kind of cool because it, it's he, he tends to play very protagonist type characters again, at least recently. So having him play someone more in the background was kind of nice. Um, for Kajika and Sukari, uh, they aren't really in the show much, but I gotta admit, they did make a big impact. Um, <laughs> Sukari specifically, because when you brought up the whole thing when he does the terrible job of consoling the child, I, I, I still completely remember that scene, and I'm like, wow, yeah, that's... Admittedly, that did give the show some personality. Um, Kajika, yeah, she showed up every once in a while. I didn't get a, a like, a huge, like vibe off of her, like, I didn't, she didn't make as big of an impact, but at the same time, I never disliked her character, I never thought, like, her, I, I thought Colleen O'Shaughnessy's voice fit very well, I didn't have any problem with her voice being in Kajika, because Kajika is a very basic, you know, character design, there's not much too distinctive to her, so she can have kind of a, a very unoffensive, very simple voice, and I think it, it fit her really great. So, in spite of the fact that these characters didn't have much to do, I, I do think they at least had... They, they at least had the right fit for them to be able to shine in a way that they might not have shined with less distinctive actors under them. So, yeah. Okay. I, I've got to mirror what everybody else is saying about uh, Colleen O'Shaughnessy as Kajika. I, I really like the sort of sweet genuineness she gives. And then, like, the, the whole thing during Tanabata where she's... She's negotiating with the uh, with the market guys, and she's just like this total shark. I I love the one eighty switch. Like that was that was beautiful, and um, yeah, that whole scene in episode I think it was three with Sukari and Tom Kibbis. Like the part that got me was it was actually before the um, you're such an asshole. I know, but it, it it was basically the whole thing that led to that where he's just like oh. You know, what was your what's your role on the Kotetsu show? Oh yeah, I'm I'm the uh, the apprentice engineer. Oh, did you and the uh, did you and the main engineer have a special relationship? And he nearly gets decked. I I love that. <laughs> like he he's just a snarky asshole, and like you don't. You don't really get that. You get that kind of in like early Shikamaru, but then you know when he grows up in Shippuden, it, it the edge is still kind of there, but it's kind of polished over. So it, it's it's really nice to see him as like the asshole again, because <clears throat> it, it's really fun. And Ben Diskin as as uh, Takumi, like. He is the character itself is like Moguzo levels of precious cinnamon roll, and uh, <laughs> and um, Ben Diskin does a really good job portraying that. But my favorite thing is I think it's in the second episode after um, after Ikuma reunites with the uh, with the engineers and tries to get on board the uh, Kotetsu Joe, where Ikuma's just like, oh yeah. I, I managed to get the steam gun to work. And he just drops all of the worry and he's just like, Oh, buddy, you got it to work? Just And then, and then they geek out and it's just this most beautiful thing. I'm just like, I'm sold on this guy. And he deserved better. He, he deserves so much better. 
Uh, or one out. Uh, let us remember him. And Taps plays gently in the background. Alright, so um, shall we move on to the actual crew of the Kotetsu Joe? Yes. Yes. Alright, so starting off, we have sort of the... One of the engineers, it's very strongly implied he's a foreigner. And I, I've got some stuff to say once... Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll just say it right here. Um, fun little fact, he's played in the Japanese version by a man named Maxwell Powers, who is actually an American. And in the in the Japanese version, he he peppers in like random English words into his speech, and it, it, it's fun. And um, we have sort of one of the soldiers aboard the train, uh, Kibito, and the apprentice engineer slash conductor with the sweetest fucking back muscles on the face of the earth. Oh, the yeah. meme queen of 2016 like, <laughs> like, chef fucking kiss, wit. Chef kiss. Uh, Yukina. Uh, take it back. She can break my back with those abs every time. <laughs> God. <laughs> I just got done. I thought I just got done recording the horny episode. <laughs> I love you, hun. God, you fucking know me. Uh, so, in any case, um, in the English dubs, Suzuki is actually played by someone I wasn't actually able to find any anime credits for. Uh, his name is Elijah Ungbari, and. Like, this seems to be his first anime. He's apparently Australian, from what I saw. Okay. That... Okay. That that actually makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, this is a Studiopolis dub, so I guess just random people coming from nowhere just, you know, is usually how it goes. It's, okay, yeah. it's, it's usually either extremely well-known people or newer actors. Who the hell are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Kibito is played by Kyle Hibbert. I know who the you... fuck that is. <laughs> uh, Kyle Hibbert is known as Sosuke Aizen in Bleach. Uh, he is Kazuichi Soda in the in both episodes of the Danganronpa 3 anime. All right, I'm sorry, both chapters. Uh, he is Adult Gohan throughout the Dragon Ball franchise. Uh, Z, GT, and Super. Uh, and he's also Berserker in Fate Zero. Uh, hey. You, 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 no. uh, oh, yeah, he was. Sorry. I can't believe you forgot my boy Kabina. <laughs> also, like, he has so many, he has so many roles, roles for days. Like, if you, if you've liked sort of a manly character, he probably played him. Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know. I've just read this this year where everyone screamed a lot. Just having Kabina here makes sense. <laughs> True. <laughs> let's use the, let's use the train as a drill. <laughs> <laughs> Pierce through the heavens with your train. What does that make the tunnel? <laughs> I, oh, oh, God. Shit. My brain just went to something <laughs> awful. <laughs> oh no, no, not the, not the stereotypical innuendo scene. No. Uh, uh. <laughs> no, there's like there's a really, 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 
really bad thing. It's like someone described BL. You know the train going into the hole? That's BL. <laughs> <laughs> just okay. jet go okay jet. okay um yukina yukina she is played by abby trot uh you would know her as young peppo in anohana machi in hunter hunter veronica in seven deadly sins and i really want to cover this show but i don't know if i'm gonna be able to because of again similar to similar to cabinary availability issues uh, she is Nakatanya in Raka Braves of the Six Flowers. Curse you, Ponycan! <laughs> uh, so, Jet, why don't you start us off on how you feel? Okay, um... Okay, uh, so I didn't really have any notes for Kyle Havari's, uh, PB2. Um, but I, uh, but I definitely enjoyed what I heard. Um, Kyle Havari's, you know, he, he's pretty experienced in playing big guys. Um, so, um, so he, did, uh, so he did a really good job of, so, you know, playing it out, making the character sound, um, it's, uh, you know, kind of beefy without going too over the top. And, um, he, and he was very pleasant to listen to. Um, as far as, uh, Elijah goes, this is obviously my first time never really hearing him in anything, and I really liked it. Um, like Ruth was saying before, the most succinct thing about Suzuki in the, uh, Japanese audio was that he had, like, you know, a very obviously American accent to highlight the fact that the character is obviously a foreigner. And uh, I was really wondering how the dub would handle that. And I appreciate that they give him a slight accent, but not like a super distinct one. Uh, which I'm kind of glad for, because yeah. I feel like a like really obvious accent, like, you know, like a super British accent or something over the top like that would be really distracting. Um, chip, chip, cheerio, good chap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, Suzuki's always just there for comic relief, so while I can't say that Eliza, like, got any really big moments that stood out to me, uh, he was pretty funny and I enjoyed listening to him. Um, I was very surprised to see uh, Abby Toronto Jukino, since I think I hadn't really seen her in any Sudiopolis stuff before this, uh, but I also really enjoyed her. She played Yukino's uh, kind of, you know, stoic and grind personality very well. And, and I definitely appreciate how she played out the Elijah's more, like, eccentric performance. As well as, you know, like, a lot of her deadpan responses to everybody. Especially to Tsukari's kind of, you know, bad boy attitude. And uh, I do kind of wish that these two had a little bit more to... I mean, these three had a little bit more to do. But they did very well for what they had, and I have no complaints. Okay. It's probably going to be the quickest section I've ever done on this podcast. Um... I'm an idiot who really kind of skipped over episode previews, and that's where Suzuki does a lot of his acting. <laughs> oh, wait, uh, there were episode previews? Yes! Oh, they're probably on, like, the last disc. Oh! I... Did you watch all the way through the credits? They just didn't do episode previews on the disc? I didn't get episode previews. I, I don't know what the whole deal was. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, pretty, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I did. It's like... The retirement of stuff usually doesn't have previews, but they do on the disc releases. Huh. Yeah, I, I, I skipped I, I skipped that. over the credit. I just, like, got to the credits and skipped on to the next episode because I'm that type of person. Huh. Um, so, I really... Uh, I'm just going to agree with what Jet said. I really actually didn't really notice Suzuki, and I do apologize. I should have been paying more attention to him. Um, Kibito? I really enjoyed Kyle Haber's Kibito. Kibito, um, especially because he's one of the Bushi... Um, his voice playing off of the next Bushi that we're going to talk about 
was really, really refreshing. Um, I like that they had two distinct voices for the two different men of the same class. Um, I think that Kyle Haybear did a really good job. It is uh, very much the character I could see Kyle Haybear playing in this show, and he did a really great job. And I really liked Abby Trot as Yukina. I thought that she was very stern and stoic, and uh, especially compared to the other prominent female characters that we all had on the train, because there's only like four. Wait. Colleen, Yukina, um, yeah, I think four. Mume and Mume and Ayame, uh, and then uh, Hobori, who we're not talking about because she kind of just gets axed. Um, she's just kind of there to be a plot. Device oh for, like, yeah, she's there to be a plot device for like a minute and a half, like right. a hot minute. Um, I like that her voice uh, was a lot more masculine than I actually thought. That she's the more masculine of the four female voices on the show. Uh, but never kind of went into being a very big stereotype of a masculine female character. Um, that there was a little bit of a sense there. It got also be, God, I wanted her and Sukari to hook up. Um, <laughs> you two? Uh, no, no, not Sukari! Whoa, whoa, wrong person! Yeah, wait, yeah, Sukari. Yeah, Sukari is the asshole. Her and the yeah. asshole need to hook up. Uh, so that's all I gotta say. Uh, okay. Well, okay, yeah, like everyone else has put, these characters kind of just show up briefly in different parts of the series. So there isn't totally much to them. I would say Yukina probably has the most to do out of any of these characters. Uh, I thought Kyle Bear's Kibito was fine. Kyle Bear is really good in these kind of roles. Uh, he's really good at playing more staunch, you know, kind of uh, rigid characters who uh, who are kind of just there to, to be good guys. You know, they're not really there to have much, like... Much like, uh, uh, I, I guess, multiple layers to them. They're just there to be liked and be there to help other characters. And yeah, uh, Kylie Bear was really good in that. Um, Suzuki, I remember him because his, he's so memorable looking. Uh, but there wasn't much to... He, I, I remember him having kind of a soft-spoken voice. Am I wrong about that? Or No, you're right. Okay, yeah. and I, I did think that was really interesting. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, so I thought that was a neat kind of um, like take on the character like take on the character because I, I don't typically see that done in like anime dubs except for maybe like the main bad guy of the original Tenchi Muyo. And um, Yukina, yeah, uh, she was great. She was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I liked how Abby Trot kind of besides sounding a little bit more masculine in her voice, I like how stoic she sounded, and it never really came across as just wooden line reading, and I think that's a really hard line to, like, walk across, and I think Abby Trot found the right sound for that. And, uh, yeah, as far as, like, secondary characters go, uh, they were fine, and I thought all the actors did a perfectly good job. So, yeah. Okay, um... So, I think I'll start with Suzuki, who... I, I really appreciate is a, a newer name in anime dubbing. Like, I always like... I always like seeing new names in, in Castle. So it's, like, a really cool thing. The, the acting pool's growing. Um, and I, I sort of like that, that gentle, soft British accent he, he gives to the character. Like, it, it's never really... In, it's not as intrusive as the... Uh, as the Japanese as his Japanese voice because um, I, I did watch a couple of the episodes subbed 
uh, while it was airing, because I, I got access to my dad's Amazon Prime account. Like, the, the, the whole random peppering of English words, like, and, and not, like, accented English words. Like, they're, they're perfectly American English pronounced. Like, I, I really like that that wasn't present in, in the dub. It, like, that was, that was sort of an out-of-place goofiness that kind of took me out of the, the subversion. And I appreciate that it's not there. Um, as for Kyle Hibbert as Kibito, um, there's not a lot I can say that hasn't already been said. I really like sort of his older brotherly sort of tough guy voice. He he does a really good job with that particular... Like, it, it kind of sounded like a little bit of an older Gohan, which I, I really like his Gohan voice. And um, Abby Trot as Yukina... Um, like Megan was saying, I, I really appreciate that they kind of made her voice a little more masculine. Like, that's a really delicate balancing act, and I think if they had, they had given her a little too gruff of a voice, it would have, you know, it kind of wouldn't have sounded like it would have been something that fit the character design. So, I, I really appreciate that. She, she gets a lot of kind of good moments with Sukari, too. Like, in particular, the third episode. I'm I'm kind of bummed they didn't hook up in the end. Maybe the movie, though. Maybe maybe it's going to be like um, Yamato 20, 2202, where it's just like Mike McFarland and uh, Felicia Angeal suddenly reveal they had a kid. <laughs> like like that that kind of thing would be cool, where they're where they just kind of got like married off screen. That that would be kind of cute. Um, so are we ready to move on to the, uh, the sort of nobler members of the Kotetsu Joe? Oh god, yes, let's talk about my husband. <laughs> sure. Uh, Sorry. so, so starting off, we have, uh, Kurisu, oh, god, who is, yes. like, <laughs> who is basically the head of the, the, the Bushi guard, and he protects the other character we're talking about, um, Ayame, who is... Train Jesus. Um, from what I understand, she is the daughter of the governor of, like, one of the, like, one of the, the station towns that gets attacked. So she is trying to get to the capital in an attempt to save her, to save basically the, the townsfolk under her ward. I think that's basically Yeah, and her mission. uncle is one of the, uh, shogun's, like, men. That's why right. she's gonna get there. Uh, so, Megan, why don't you, why don't you tell the audience the story of Kurusu? Oh god, that he's my fucking oh, husband. Oh wait, I gotta tell you who plays them, don't I? Yes. Um, so Kurusu is played by Jameson Price, who you would know as, uh, Yukichi Fukuzawa in Bungo Stray Dogs. Uh, With he the is... guitar riff. He is Iskandar, King of Conquerors, a.k.a. writer in Fate Zero. Uh, he is Albert Maverick in Tiger and Bunny, and Chad Yasutora in Bleach. And we get to talk about this person for the first time on the show. Oh my god, I'm so excited! Uh. Ayame <laughs> is played by Veronica Taylor, guys. Uh, man, I'm like, so excited. You would know Veronica Taylor as... What uh, year is it? <laughs> Astraya Tordekun in uh, Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin, the OVAs. 
Uh, she is Amelia Wheel Tesla Celine in The Slayers. She's Setsunomeo, a.k.a. Sailor Pluto and Sailor Moon. And come on, you'd think I would really talk about Veronica Taylor without mentioning she's the original four-kids voice of Ash Ketchum in Pokemon. And also and May! And Ash's mom! And she was, and this an, is... she was an April O'Neil, too. She was an April... Like, Nico Robin in the Four Kids dub of One Piece. And this is the she, first time I've ever actually seen her play a female with, character. With a southern... She gave Nico Robin a southern accent, too. Uh, darn you, Horgans. <laughs> so, fun fact, this is the first time I've ever actually watched a show where Veronica Taylor's a woman in it the whole way through. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> 26 years. Do I get to tell my Kursi story now? Yeah, God. yeah, go right on ahead. And I guess I'll just go first at this round. So, uh, one, I love Kurusu. Kurusu is straight up husband material, like on the tier of Young Wenli, Young, uh, Young Wenli from Legend of the Galactic Heroes. <laughs> so I was on the phone with Roots one night, just talking because that's what couples do. And we were going through the cast list, and then I found out that Kurusu was nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something I'm going to talk about when it's my turn. And then we found out that Kurusu was 19. So I, I went to look up something about who played him in the Japanese. So, um, and I found out that it is uh, Toshiki Matsuda. And uh, I can't believe I fucking... Fu- what? In the words of Jeff Goldblum, life finds a way. <laughs> uh, it's life. Um, it's life. Uh, finds a way. Life uh, finds a way. Um, so I looked up who played him, uh, Mr. who Mr. Masada plays in the Japanese, and he's he's uh, he's actually Kirishima in the Japanese version of My Hero Academia, um, and because I will never fuck, uh, he's also Kotaro ha- uh, Hayama from Kirko Basketball, Kirko no Basket, which I'm like one of the five people who have watched it. Um, if you've gotten all the way to the third season, he plays with the character I've called Cheetah Chase because he's really fast and his animal like thing is a cheetah. But because it's me and I will never escape this show, I swear to God, I can't believe Japanese Kurusu is costume from Duncan Rabu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was gonna come up at least once. I seriously didn't know that. <laughs> I literally just found that out! That being said, oh my god, I love you, James Surprise! (laughs) I love him so much! I know that this guy- I- okay, look. I get it. Kurusu does not- sounds like a 19-year-old whose balls drop to, like, the core of the earth. Yes, of course, I'm 19 years old. old. Can't you tell? Like, God, no, it, it sounded it, like it, his balls no, dropped no, in how, the center of the earth at the age of four. No, I got it. How do you do, fellow How do you do, fellow <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. I don't Good night, care. everybody. <laughs> I just, that's podcast over. Play the Carb Your Enthusiasm music. da 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 <laughs> I love it so much. I don't even care. Like it's a good performance. Hey, hang on, let me Doesn't... let me see if I can do my my best Jamie surprise. How do you do, fellow samurai? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> bless you, Lack. Bless you. Christ. 
loved it so much, though. Like, my favorite thing is I never thought Jameson Price could do Moe. Never. Because Kurosu gets a couple moments that are of him just being an absolute putz for Ayame. You gotta imagine Jameson Price thought, well, this is a first. <laughs> like, alright, Jameson, we need you to play a lovesick puppy. Because, good, good lord. Also, I mean, can I talk about my favorite Kurosu thing being when um, he finds Ikuma in episode, I think, 11. And he's just got the science guy from Biba on a leash. Like, chained up by the hands. <laughs> and the guy tries to sass Ikuma, and he just literally punches him out and then pulls him back by the chain. And yells at him. <laughs> like, God, I fucking love you, Kurosu. Um, he, I really like the performance. I don't give a shit. It sounds a little too old. It kind of works. And then, oh man, I didn't know how I was going to feel about Veronica Taylor playing uh, Ayame. Because, like I said, there are two things I actually associate Veronica Taylor with. One of them is Ash Ketchum. And the other is Night on the Galactic Railroad. Oh yeah, I, I forget she was Queen Esmeralda's too. Like from what? Oh yeah, from uh, from friggin' the Captain Harlock series. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah, like that one they actually dubbed. Yeah, Veronica Taylor actually has a really cool like like uh, uh like range. Pick. Yeah, I wish she'd actually play Queen Esmeralda's again because she's a really good fit for the character. Yeah, yeah she, no, like, she has a scary range, all things considered. Yeah. Yeah, like, but yeah, like, for my thing, I'm used to her actually playing, like, literally, like, an immortal ten-year-old and a talking cat. Those are the two big things, like, I associate her immediately. So I loved Harayame. Like, there was, I like that she had the sense of nobility, but she was also just, like, very warm and very open. I call her Train Jesus for a reason. Like, everyone she meets can, like, literally... She's like, why did... Instead of, you know, becoming a lich mob, why don't we all help each other? Get on my train! Um. Yes! I will follow this woman into this train. Train. Speaking of which, God, I, like, I love when she realizes, um... I love the scene between her and Jameson Price in episode two. Where he's looking out the top of the train... And she's like, what do you see? And then he's like, you don't want to look. And she pops up and she sees her dad as a Kabane. And it's like, is that my father? And it's like, no, that's a Kabane. And then his stupid... And then her dead dad's stupid hand keeps fucking them over. (laughs) But, God, she really played... I think that the two of their voices really played well off of each other. Despite, you know, when they dub anime, you don't record in the same room at the same time. But the energy they got off of one another really helped in that she also had a sense of, like, youth and inexperience, which really helped, as well as um, just this just this sense of also being able to change herself as a person. Their, because she has she has inherent biases that eventually get broken. So. Their chemistry actually did help a lot. Like who would have thought? Yeah. Who would have thought? Friggin' Veronica Taylor and Jameson Price would have good chemistry together, uh, <laughs> and be probably the other couple. I was like, I swear to God, if you, I think when he, when they threw him back on the train in the last episode and they looked at each other, my immediate answer was, "Kiss her, you idiot." You know, I just realized something funny. <laughs> what? That 
that uh, Ayame's actor is Ash Ketchum, and Kurosu's actor has played Giovanni. Oh, God! Oh, my God, you're right! Oh, God, just... Somebody go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um... So I gotta say, I was very surprised to see Jameson Price as Kurosu. I mean, I've heard him do, like, younger characters before, but, um... He has such a naturally powerful voice, and it's kind of associated him with, you know, like, really big dudes. Um, so seeing him as a pretty boy was uh, definitely different. And, um... Well, it was a little weird to hear uh, Jameson Bryce's voice coming out of this guy. Uh, he got the character very quickly, and he gets across this very, you know, proud, selfless, shared attitude. It makes Kurosu feel like a very, you know, very kind of seasoned warrior, which he's, you know, supposed to come out fast as he's, like, the leader of the bougie. And, um, the other thing I appreciated that, uh, well, you know, he does have the very powerful uh, Jameson Bryce voice. Uh, he can also be really funny when he needs to. Like, whenever Kurutsu needs to be kind of dorky or awkward. Like, you know, especially with all his interactions with Ayame. Um, Jameson Price's delivery got a lot of laughs out of me. And uh, by the end of the show, it was uh, one of my favorite performances of the dub. So, um, it's really nice when a dub can pull a 180 like that. So, I definitely appreciate it. Of course, so what I really want to talk about, though, is Veronica Taylor, because, man, I am so glad I actually could talk about Veronica Taylor on this show. Uh, I know, uh, right? As a, yeah, uh, as a, I mean, I suppose this is going to come eventually, but uh, she she's actually my favorite anime voice actress when it comes to dubs. And uh, one thing I really, I really appreciate about her as an actor is how wide her character range is and how quickly she can get into a role. And uh, she plays Ayame with this very, you know, like, regal and refined attitude. Where you can tell the character comes from, like, a place of privilege and she knows how to command respect when she needs to. Uh, but at the same time, you know, she's also this very sweet, you know, caring girl who wants to look out for everyone. And, uh, don't, and you know, do whatever she can to keep them safe. And Veronica Taylor plays both aspects of the character very well and practically seamlessly. And, uh, well, you know, I suppose you might argue that it's a little... It might come off as a little too soft-spoken a role for, you know, like, this really big action show. It's like, uh, her delivery was strong enough that it, it, it's really easy to overlook that very quickly. And uh, I walked away with it very satisfied. And uh, like Megan was saying, the best part about these two performances was how they played off each other. I thought the chemistry worked very well. And while um, these were certainly unusual casting choices, I think they turned out very nicely. Okay. Back. Uh, is it my turn? Yes. Yep. Okay. Alright, so, um, yeah, uh, I'm really not trying to sound like I've got nostalgia goggles on, but I really do think Veronica Taylor was an excellent choice for Ayame. I think Veronica Taylor has a lot of great experience playing characters that have to have a vulnerability to them and still have a strength, and I, I think Ayame is one of those types of characters, and I think Veronica Taylor embodies that really well. Um... You know, I didn't really, outside of Pokemon, I didn't really listen to much of 4Kids dubs, aside from, I guess it says a little about me, Sonic X. So, um, but yeah, as far as Veronica Taylor was concerned, she did a great job as Ayami. I think she was one of the standout performances. And again, I'm not just saying this because it's great to hear Veronica Taylor doing anime dubs again. Um, but I really do think she encapsulated the character, and I think she is probably the strongest one in the dub here. Kurosu, Jameson Price. Okay. Uh, I love Jameson Price. <laughs> and I 
I think what really helped, and I think if it didn't help, it would stand out worse, how deep his voice is for a 17-year-old, I think is, again, the chemistry that he had with Veronica Taylor. And you wouldn't think these two actors would actually have really good chemistry, but they actually did, and they, their personalities of the characters played off really well. And in spite of the fact that I don't know if Jameson Price's voice was appropriate for Kurosu, he understood the character, and that helped. He understood what kind of character Kurosu is, and in spite of the age difference, he is used to playing these types of characters, and he has great experience in playing these types of characters. And having a very militant Kurosu against a very like vulnerable Ayame really was a great dynamic, and I think it was one of the strongest aspects of the show. And I think the two actors, who are two very experienced actors, um, were able to play those roles very well. Do I think I would ever get used to Jameson Price's Kurosu? I don't know. Probably not, because he's still 17 years old, and he's being played by a man who's only ever played big, you know, muscular dudes his entire career. And that's not entirely Jameson Price's fault. That's that's typecasting, and that's beyond his control. He knows what he's good at playing, and he tries out for that because he wants to work. I can't blame him for that. Um, and he, he's, an, he's got one of the best voices in anime dubbing, honestly. So I, I can't fault him... I can't fault anyone for picking him for Kurosu. Um, but besides that, I, again, it was the chemistry between the two of them that I think really made them both shine in this. So, yeah. Okay. Um, can I just say how really nice it is that, you know, while Jameson Price starts off the character of Kurosu as, like, the stoic, heroic, like, action hero type, like... By about halfway through the show, that that exterior starts to melt, and he is like, he's like the ultimate bishonen. Like it, it, it's just one of the most beautiful transformations of the show, and I really, I really like how Jameson Price is able to go between both of those, pretty much seamlessly. Like he he gets to see the big action sequences really well, and then like. He's escorting Ayame toward the uh, the third act of the show, and he's just like this doting. Well, it, it, the show kind of makes it clear that he likes her, and it, it's just all those awkward encounters, and it, it's just like this most beautiful moe thing. I I didn't know Jameson Bryce could be moe, and this is something I can cross off my bucket list. Because, like, listening to an actor be Moe, who you didn't think could be, like, that's... It, it, it's beautiful. And... I'm, I'm extremely Moe. <laughs> Ugu. I love, I love him, though. Ugu, de- Ugu Desu. <laughs> <laughs> and, God, Veronica Taylor is Ayame. Like, I, I knew... I, I've known for a while that Veronica Taylor can play a woman. Like, not just, like, May in Pokemon, like, a ten-year-old girl. She can actually play, like, mature women. And this, even knowing that, the, this performance blew me away. She's, she's delicate when she needs to be. She's, she can harden herself when the, uh, the performance calls for it. And then there's also this this mellow softness, especially when she's around Kurasu toward the latter half of the show. It God, it's beautiful, and I get to talk about Veronica Taylor on this show. Like this is 
so cool. And I, I really like Ayame, and I really like the performance. But, um, we need to move on to our next group of characters, which I includes, I think, another person we get to talk about on this show for the first time. Well, we get to put a lot more emphasis on this person. Yeah, oh, we, true, we, yeah, true. Because we he's way that. past cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I was also going to bring that up as a segue, but, um... Uh, first of all, we've got Biba, who is totally not a bad guy, guys. Just what are you talking it's about? It's okay. You can trust this guy. But yeah, he he's totally not the bad guy. He's he's Mumei's brother. What are you talking about? She can vouch. And um, also one of the nobody men- with pink hair is <laughs> ever evil in anime. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of talking about voice actors, who plays? <laughs> well, um, and then we're also going to talk about one of his main henchmen and one of the ones who actually makes it to the end of the show, which in and of itself is kind of impressive. Uh, the the blue haired one, Uryu. He's the one who kills the spider. Yeah, and he also gets a badass motorcycle. A badass steampunk motorcycle, mind you. That sprays blood. <laughs> All over your carpets. The most metal thing on the planet. A, a steampunk motorcycle that sprays blood. <laughs> Somebody loaned that out to kiss. Any, in any case, um, like for the first time, we really get to talk about this person on the show, and I'm really excited. Um... Biba is played by Roger Craig Smith, uh, who you would know as basically the current voice of Sonic the Hedgehog from, I think, what was it, like 2006-ish? He's been at, playing at for le- a while. At least since Colors. So. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, like 06, 08-ish. Uh, that's, no. that, okay, no, no. I'd, say, I'd say probably like 2010. Because Ryder, yeah, Ryder okay. still had the four kids uh, cast. Yeah, okay, yeah, oh, gotcha, okay, yeah, okay. and uh, 06 definitely still had the four kids cast. Well, okay, yeah, I forgot. Elise! <laughs> the, the one we forget about. <laughs> but he also, like, a really cool thing that kind of came out in between the recording of the Agretzko episode and now, he got to play Batman. In Batman Ninja. Oh, well, he was Batman in Arkham Origins. Yeah, like, he's, he's like, one of the big voice actors for Batman. But he's yeah. actually relevant now, because he's, he's in an anime. Um, he is Shinji Hirako in Bleach, and Dave Dara in Naruto Shippuden. And, um, Uryu is played by Chris Niozzi, who you would know as... Like Megan's favorite character from Beta Apocrypha, Karna. Karna got done dirty. <laughs> He's coming for guys. Sorry. <laughs> and also, Ashitaka Reagan from uh, Mob Psycho 100. Uh, he is Haruo Sakaki in the Godzilla Monster Planet movies on Netflix. Oh yeah, I forgot and he's also a- Akira Hizamaru in Terra for Mars. Why do I screw up Terraform? Uh, is it Terraform uh, Mars or is it Terraform? Uh, uh, another, another dude that's that's sadly currently only home video only. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 
Uh, All right, well, um, Jeff, why don't you start us off? Okay, um... All right, so I know we're not actually talking about it, but I kind of wanted to give a brief shout-out to uh, Spike Spencer. Um, it's, uh, he played another one of your henchmen. Like, I can't remember the guy's name, and I, like, literally couldn't find it anywhere on the internet for some reason. I mean, uh, I mean, but it kind of stood out to me because, you know, you don't see Spike Spencer playing, like, older guys that much. And I, th- and I thought he carried himself pretty well. It sounded, like, very distinct. Um, but anyway, I can't really say that, uh, Uryu stood out to me much since, you know, he's, like, kind of in the background compared to a lot of Viva's crew. Um, but Chris Yoshi did, uh, did pretty well with what he had. And I definitely got, like, a good chuckle of him, like, jumping ship towards the end and deciding to get on the Kentucky Theo. I thought that was, like, a pretty funny plot twist. Um, so as for Roger Craig Smith as Viva. Okay, well, I'll be honest in saying, like, straight up, the show did not really need a villain. I mean, you've already got, like, a gigantic zombie horde, and, you know, like, a motley crew of characters fighting your zombie horde. I mean, that's already prime action movie material, and, you know, you could have easily made a workable show out of just that. I mean, so adding Beba on top of things just kind of feels, like, a little bit unnecessary, and it feels like he's just kind of there because he needed to pad out the show to 12 episodes. Uh, but all that said, I dug Roger's performance. Um, it's very different from how the character sounded in Japanese, because... There, he was played by good old Mamoru Miyano. And, you know, and while this certainly wasn't among his hammiest roles, uh, Mamoru Miyano's uh, natural suaveness kind of seemed to that performance. And he made the character sound, you know, like very smug and self-absorbed. You know, not like full-on light Yagami or anything, but, you know, like typical smug Mamoru Miyano. Uh, Roger Craig Smith's take, on the other hand, is very stoic. Like, he's not super quiet or anything, but he plays Bebo with, like, this very calm and reserved attitude, it kind of makes him sound more heroic in a sense, which I guess kind of fits his role in the plot. Uh, since he's, you know, and since something comes off as, you know, like, not quite right about the guy, something kind of, like, unhinged lying beneath the surface. And uh, that's not a performance six even during even some of Viva's louder moments. And it's interesting because Roger Craig Smith is, like, you know, certainly capable of going full on ham. I mean, he's, he's data, for Pete's sake, and he's Freaking thought the hedgehog. Uh, but uh, this comes off as a very, you know, odd choice in vocal direction, but one that I think works. It gives the it gave the character a lot of presence, and uh, while it was certainly different than what I was expecting, it, it sort of gave off this very complex false hero vibe that I think kind of sells how broken of an individual Mima supposedly is. I mean, it wasn't enough to make me think the show wouldn't have been better off without Viva, but it did make me appreciate the character just a little bit more. And it's great when a performance can make me reevaluate how I feel about a character even slightly. Um, so to Roger Craig Smith, I say, well done, good sir. Alright, okay. so <clears throat> I've been going next. Uh, Chris Nussi did a pretty good job as Uri, uh, Uriu. Sorry. Um, like, like Jet said, the character kind of, like, sneaks through. Okay, Chris Neosu plays a pretty good little sneaky snake of a child. A teenager. Um, so, in the scene, I believe he's the one who stabs the spider next to Ayame's head, right? I Uh, believe so. so. That's kind of his standout scene next to when he's like, oh yeah, uh, so can we come on your train? (laughs) (laughs) But, for me, um, Oh god, I've been wanting to make this joke for like a week and a half now. Imagine if uh, Sonic the Hedgehog's taunt in Smash was You're too weak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
man, Roger Craig Smith as Biba really made that character for me because Biba's just kind of like, I, I do kind of agree with Jet that Biba isn't needed, but Biba also makes the show fun for me in that he is, I, I, I this is going to sound really weird. He's kind of like, what if Erwin from Attack on Titan was just fucking evil? <laughs> um, yeah, he's, yeah, I can see that. He's just like, oh, only the strong survive. Like, okay, I think it's the episode when he lets all the people into the where they're uh, where they get to that town, and he tricks Mume into letting the Kabanarian, the Kabanian, is that's the episode. I think it's episode nine. Really stuck with me. And he plays the character, I think, not not hammy, but a little bit more reserved. But I think there's also, like, this very sense of sorrow to Biba's character that Roger Craig Smith really gets. Because Biba's hiding a lot, and Biba has a lot of very complicated emotions behind him and why he's chosen to go evil. And he doesn't regret a damn... And, the sh- I think he regrets it, but the show also doesn't do a good job of, like, making Biba seem like he regrets anything he did. Biba's like, hell yeah, I caused all this fucking destruction. What y'all gonna do about it? Um, Whoops. And I do think that Roger Craig Smith carries that weight with him. And he also is very charismatic to me. Like, I can see why Biba tricked people and why Mume felt for- followed him as a brother and why, um, I forget her name again, Horobi, uh, saw him as a lover, and by the way, the scene where, um, Biba injects, uh, Hobori to make her the, the giant black mist. God, the, God, the, the acting and the tension in that scene was just, chef's kiss. Um, oh god, it was so fucking good. I just, I just, it's hard to put into words what I like about it, but I, I really fucking liked it. Okay. Uh, Lack? First things first. Requiescat de pace. I knew, I knew, I knew someone was going to mention Ezio. Yeah. I understood that reference. Actually, bringing up Ezio is a great example of how charismatic Roger Crick Smith can actually be as an actor. I think he's actually one of the most underrated uh, voice actors right now because, well, for one thing, he plays Sonic the Hedgehog, so that's always going to be kind of a, eh, you know, <laughs> people are always going to kind of, like, sneer at that. Like, really? You're the voice of Sonic? Okay. Um, but I do think he's a fantastic actor. He was, like, a comedian before he became a voice actor or something, I think. I can believe that. Yeah. And uh, he, I remember he also was, like, Dalton in Code Geass. Or something like that, which is crazy, because that would have been the first time I had heard him, long before I ever knew he was going to be Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, and yeah, it's it's really great to hear him in another anime dub, honestly. Uh, and I think his charisma really helped the character of Bebo, who, let's be honest, is kind of generic. There's nothing really that interesting yeah. about <laughs> Bebo. He's not a good villain, and I think actually, actually that's one of the better aspects of Attack on Titan, is there is no distinct, distinctive villain, at least... You know, at least as far as, like, the anime got. Um, like, until the hairy dude showed up. Right. Um, but at the same time, it's... Sometimes a really generic villain can be carried off by a charismatic actor. And I think this is a great example of that. Um, 
Do I think it's a meaty role? No. Do I think Roger Crick Smith still does the best he can with it? Yes. And yeah, um, Biba never really took my interest. But another thing too, I really didn't know that was Roger Crick Smith until I learned about it today. Honestly, I, he he's really is one of those actors who can kind of hide himself in a role. Honestly, hey. it's pretty crazy. Oh yeah, his rage is like amazing. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um. So as far as Chris Niosi is uh, Uryu, is that how you pronounce it? Uryu. Yeah. Okay. Um. I I've known I've like followed Kerber for for a very long time, so it's it's always interesting to actually hear him in a role and. In all honesty, Kerberfer is a good actor. He, uh, this is yeah. a, this is a great example of him doing a really good job in a role, even though, again, it's not really that much of a role. Um, he shows up every once in a while, he does something, he acts like a little shit, and then he goes his way. Um, but Chris did do a good job here. He he showed off his talents. You know, he, he in real life, he's a really friendly guy, so to see him play somebody so inherently snidely is really interesting um i haven't heard the mob psycho 100 dub yet i want to but i haven't yet um i would also say there's if you don't want to watch the whole show watch the two episodes that have his fate apocrypha character in it because it's fucking phenomenal yeah well i am a big fate fan so i'm probably gonna watch fate apocrypha at some point um and it's He's he's good in the role. It's it's a good role that fits him. He's good at these types of characters. Um, I, I mean, if you look back on friggin' Tome, and when he played, um, God, I, I can't remember the character's name. It, it was like his his uh, other persona in the game besides Kerberfer, uh, Zetzel or something like that. Uh, it was very similar to Uryu, actually. Um, and it was also a very quiet, very menacing type character who was kind of just trying to... who was kind of doing things by his own means and by his own motivations. So, yeah, these two, in spite of the fact that these are very bland villains, they're played by very good actors who did a great job with them. So, yeah. Okay. Um, I largely agree with you guys. Uh I, I know that there wasn't a lot of meat on Uryu's part in the show, but I really like that Chris Niozzi was sort of able to play that that smarmy side of him really well. And then in the last episode, in the in like the end credits, where he just kind of shows up on the uh, on the Kotetsu show, and he's just like, "Yeah, hey, um, you guys need like tough guys, right? <laughs> like, like that was that was really cool. I I." I really want to see the movie get get a dub, and I, I really want to see what what happens with Uriu and Chris Niozzi's performance as him. Like, I... Th- like, there's not a lot to it, but I, I really like it, because I really like Chris Niozzi. And, um... What does the English dub performance of Biba have in common with Biba's father? They're both dead? Well... Roger Craig Smith kills it. <laughs> uh, he kills it. Da 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 da. Oh, is this like, does this is this grounds for me to be able to 
do I have to stick with this? <laughs> this is this is a legal means for divorce. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're God. Oh, that's the second worst pun I've heard tonight. Bruce is sleeping on the couch tonight. <laughs> like I I really like that. Roger Craig Smith gave the character a, a, like a sense of ham. The scene that sticks out for me is uh, Mume's flashback sequence where her parents are dead and then uh, Biba shows up in her life and he's he's giving her the spiel about ho- how only the strong survive. And like, I I honestly got Aizen vibes. Like, like the villainous transformation of Aizen from that from that scene and basically the English performance because I did not actually get that far in the Japanese version. Like I think I maybe got like five or six episodes into uh, the Amazon stream and then I just never got back to it until I bought the Blu-rays. And I do agree with you guys that the character of Biva just is kind of there. You really didn't need it. Like in all in all truth, like. The like Biba's father probably would have been a more interesting antagonist, like the Shogun. Biba was a Final Fantasy villain AF. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He, was. he looked like, like one too. Like especially in like the final fight where he actually injects himself with the with the serum, and then yeah, and he <laughs> and then he actually looks like a Final Fantasy villain. But um, I, I really like Chris Niozzi and Roger Craig Smith. They were they were wonderful performances for characters that probably would have been kind of boring if they didn't have decent people behind them. Mm-hmm. All right, so our last group of characters are our two leads. Um, we have the mysterious girl who's uh, made a covenary through mysterious means. Uh, Mume, who journeys on the Kotetsu Joe, she has her own mysterious assignments given to her by Biba. Uh, she actually turns on the crew for a bit, and then, you know, power of love and all that. And then we have Ikoma. Like, the guy... I, I really like sort of the origin story of him getting his covenary powers. Like, he, he's testing out the steam gun, he gets bit by a Kabane, and then he cures himself by choking himself out. Yeah. And can we also appreciate how the design of Nikola was so popular, he's cameloing in the new Pokemon movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is, isn't he? Oh my god, I forgot about that! <laughs> oh, that's right, because Wit Studio's working on the next Pokemon movie, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> like if if they don't get Ikoma's English dub actor for for that, I'm gonna be a little bummed because that seems like an come intentional. Come on, come nod. on, Pokemon Company. I mean, they have. Uh, I mean, they have like guest actors coming all the time, so it's it's reasonable. Yeah. Uh, so Mume is played by an actress by the name of uh, Janice Kawaii. Uh, you would know her as uh, Yuzu Kurosaki and Bleach. She is Kukuri Yurizome in Kamis and Kings. She's Peko Peko Yama in the uh, the video game version of Danganronpa. Uh, she is Ami in Hi Hi Puffy Ami Yumi. 
Come on! <laughs> um, and she's um, Jenny, a.k.a. the XJ9 in My Life as a Teenage Robot. <laughs> Story of my life. As <laughs> a tabernacle. Uh, I still feel like we got cheated out of a Jenny Phantom crossover with that show. Dude! <laughs> Reach to the choir. Uh, that would have been cool. And um, Ikoma is played by Robbie Damon. Uh, you would know him as uh, Mamoru Chiba, a.k.a. Tuxedo Mask and Sailor Moon. Uh, he is Guild Thunder in Seven Deadly Sins. Soray in both the game and the anime version of Tales of Zestiria. Uh, Prompto in Final Fantasy XV. And he is the California voice actor of Izumi no Kami Kanesada in Katsugeki Token Rambu. And he was also recently Spider-Man. Also, congratulations, Robbie. I know you just had a daughter. Yeah. Congratulations. Okay. Um... Congratulations on the expanding family. Okay, um, so I guess I'll start with Moon Bay first. Um, I was really surprised to see Denise Kawaii here. Um, since, you know, uh, she's done her share of anime roles in the past. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, she's a lot more known for her roles in Western animation, like XJ9. And, uh, the only anime I largely associate with her were, you know, usually with Bleeds, where, you know, she mostly just had to sound, like, very cute. And, uh, Shizuku in Hunter x Hunter, where she just kind of sounds, like, very odd. Um, so this is, uh, definitely different than what I was used to from her, and I totally dug it. Uh, she does give Moonbae this kind of, you know, cutesy boy-girl voice, but she plays it with a lot of sass. And she gets across this very, like, devil-may-care attitude where, she, you know, she just kind of does whatever she wants. And I love how she's able to, you know, just clap back at anyone who rubs her the wrong way. And, uh, of course, you know, while Moonbae does have quite a bit of sass to her, her character arc is, you know, mainly about transforming, you know, towards... You know, becoming a little bit more empathetic and hopeful about the way she feels. And, uh, well, I'm a little bit divided on how I feel about said character arc since, I mean, I don't, like, totally hate D.I.D., but it did feel, like, a little bit cheap to have so many of her problems come directly from Viva. And, you know, kind of needing a comment of savor, even if it is, you know, more an emotional thing than a physical thing. Um, I mean, I feel like that might have worked out. I feel like that might have worked out better if they actually had killed off Ikoma in the end and made Moonbay the permanent protagonist for whatever sequel we're getting, but, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, Jenny's Kawaii handled that transition in Moonbay's character very well. And, uh, there was definitely a very notable difference in her tone toward the end of the show where Moonbay decides she wants to protect her new family. And, um, I really enjoyed the performance. Um, as far as Robbie Damon goes, um, uh, I'm not going to lie, I was actually a little bit let down when I first saw the casting choice. Um, one, because, uh, like many of us, I had actually misread Amazon's um, original listing of the release to mean Chris Yossi was going to be Ikoma, and I thought that might have been interesting. And um, secondly, because of how I feel about uh, Ikoma's seiyu, Tosuku Hatanaka. Uh, Tosuku Hatanaka, like, said out to be in both this show and in Uchiha and Tora, where he's Uchiha. Uh, because he has, like, this very unusual voice for, like, the typical Shonen action lead. Where he has this very, like, kind of gruff, very earthly quality to his voice that sounds... No, like, a little rougher around the edges than, than, you know, the usual smoothness you'd expect from a lead... From a leading character. Uh, but it also carries across with, like, very strong sense of sincerity to it, where... 
and like almost every line he says feels like he really means it. And you know, while I like Robbie David a lot, that I definitely haven't, you know, like been disappointed by anything he's done up up to this point. I was kind of worried I wasn't going to get across that same experience, since you know, and Robbie David typically plays leading roles in a you know a kind of smoother quality to his voice, not unlike say Vic Mignogna. And uh, you know, normally that wouldn't be like too big a deal to me, but uh, the Tsuku Hatanaka's over was definitely kind of the main reason I liked the trouble a lot to begin with. And I felt like if he had a more, like, generic-sounding voice, I might not have cared for him as much. Um, but, uh, having said all that, Robbie David really nailed it. Uh, from the moment he comes says his first line, it's, like, this incredibly dorky sense of sincerity to Robbie David's performance, and it won me over almost immediately. Um, you know, like, whenever Ikoma feels, like, really passionate or really excited about something, you know, like, getting a seam gun to work, there's, like, this real sense of enthusiasm in Robbie's voice. And when Ikoma gets angry, he just, Robbie just sounds like every ounce of rage. And speaking of rage, one thing I really gotta give props to is how he handled a lot of Ikoma screaming. Uh, because this is a Tetsuo Rocky show, and, you know, that's kind of his thing. And with main characters, you know, having to scream their lines a lot and whatnot. Um, especially when it comes to, like, dramatic moments, you know, like when Ikoma gets kicked off the train. Uh, but, you know, instead of, you know, just speaking really loudly or going for, you know, like a more typical sounding scream, uh, it's mu it's a much more raw sound where it sounds, you know, almost like he's choking on blood. And I haven't heard anything like that fierce since, well, frankly, Bryce Pappenbrook's Eric and Parrot and Attack on Titan. Like, I honestly did not think we could get this kind of performance out of Robbie David, but he really went 110% on this one. And not only is it probably my favorite work of his currently, this is actually my current frontrunner for favorite male performance of this year. So, Robbie Damon, great job. Excellent. Megan? Uh, sure, I'll go next. So, uh, I want to start with Mume as well. I really dearly enjoyed Janice Kawe, uh, Kawe as Mume. She was sassy fun, but she also got a lot of Mume's fear down, especially when Mume has to deal with um, the stuff in, I believe, episode 6, where she believes that if she isn't being reckless, she's useless. Like, where she's not killing enough. Yeah. Um, so, I thought she nailed that, and I also, it really sticks out because it's a Mume moment to me, is when she um, is running through the city that Biba has tricked her into um, letting all the Kabane in, is just her reaction to when she finds a mother and daughter and she's like you're safe now and she turns around and the mom is holding her body next to her little daughter who just got bit and she's like it'll all be over really cool and they basically murder suicide each other uh, the daughter and her and her reaction to that so that's that to me is some of the highlights for Mume is not when she's being a sassy little badass it's when she's being vulnerable and very much like she has to let the inside out. So when she's trapped as the black fog, fog and she's going through all like the butterfly and all that crap shit, I thought that was some of the best acting for her. And Mume was actually one of my favorite performances in the show. So um, I can't really expand more on what Jet said, but I have to certainly agree about Robbie Damon as Ikuma. Um, this isn't my favorite Robbie Damon performance of the year. This is probably actually my number three behind Smith from... No, Smith would be my number three from March Comes in Like a Lion. This is number two. 
uh, number one I'm saving, because that one is pretty much locked in for a certain end-of-the-year award. Um, but man, God, he does nail it. He goes from making Ikoma dorky to making Ikoma the badass. Just, I love when he, he, he basically BDSMs himself into not becoming a zombie. <laughs> and his reaction to it, his reaction to it, he's like, it was a, it was a virus! Like, <laughs> auto-erotic asphyxiations himself out of it. I just—that's one way to do it. <laughs> I mean, and he was prepared for it too. We had that machine waiting. I mean, he was like, oh yeah, bitch, my time has come. I mean, um, I'm not gonna judge his lifestyle choices. I, I kind of wish. Also, be I totally a thought. Mo- By the way, I also did totally think that they were gonna pull the Mume is his sister trick, and I'm happy they didn't. Yeah, I—I <laughs> um, I got that feeling God. too. Uh, but man, like whenever he had to do also with him, whenever he had to do uh, Ikoma's vulnerability, Robbie Damon nailed it, and that's some of my favorite stuff that Robbie Damon does, is when he does get to play these very like these not even not badasses, but kind of dorks that have gone through some shit, and then they start slowly pierce uh, pulling it back so you can see the core, and I think that's where Robbie Damon, I think, to me, excels as an actor, um, and. I say this as somebody who needs to fucking finish Persona 5. Um, that being said, I, I fucking love the two of them. They were great leads. They also had great chemistry with each other. Their bantering back and forth felt like they were both in the same room at the same time, just doing it with each other naturally. Okay. Uh, Black? Uh, yeah, not much to add on there. Uh, I think Robbie Damon is actually a really good actor, and I think one of the best aspects of him as an actor is his commitment to any role he really is not afraid to just pour 120% into anything he plays. He's one of the best screamers in voice acting right now, honestly. Um, and I think he was an excellent choice for this uh, for this main role. Because Ikuma is a really, kind of a unique character. He's, he's meant to be kind of a cool guy, but he's also meant to be kind of a nerd. Which is not the type of character you usually get in, in anime. Even with Attack on Titan, which is the thing we always compare this to. You know... Aaron Yeager is not really a nerd or a cool guy. He's he's just a dumbass. Yeah, but Ikuma is kind of meant to be a, a nerdy cool guy. So I think it's actually, it was a very good choice to not have Ikuma be played by like Bryce Pappenbrook or something like that. Because I think you need somebody who's different and plays different roles than that. And Robbie Damon is kind of one of those guys who, who tends to either play the cool guy or the nerd. Because he's got that kind of voice. At one moment, he can be smooth and, and, you know, kind of suave. And at the next minute, he can be really dorky. So, yeah, I think he was an excellent choice for Ikuma. He was definitely one of the strongest aspects of this dub. Keeping, he was great at keeping people's attention as far as, like, the, you know, following the MC is concerned. Uh, I'm trying to think of any standout moments. Uh, Anytime he kind of had a revelation or anything like that was a pretty good scene. Because, again, Robbie Damon is really good at, like, selling emotion. Like, he's he's actually very good at that. Um, Janice Kawaii as, uh, as Mume. Uh, there were moments when she felt a little too bratty for me, to be honest. But there were also a lot of moments where her strength as an actress came through. And I did start to feel for Mume. In spite of the fact that a lot of times she came off arrogant. But as the story progressed and you learned that it, it comes from a more damaged place... And you start to sympathize with her a little bit more. I think that's when Janice kind of came into her own. 
Um, I think a problem of that was probably just they didn't really know what they were what to do with Mume at first. They weren't sure what kind of character and what kind of direction she was going in, and I think that may have hindered Janice a little bit um, for the for how to play the character. But as they progressed, I think they started to understand where her character was going, and it was able to help her kind of get more fit into the role. And once she did get into the role, she fit very well. So yeah, that's my thoughts. I'm I'm gonna start with Mumei here. Um, I I actually did kind of like that bratty aspect of her, like especially like toward the toward the starting half of the show, when the the uh, sort of civilians aboard the Kotetsu Joe are starting to accept her as a person. Because by the way, there's like a whole subplot in the beginning of the show with. Can we trust these people who are, like, half Kabane, half human? <laughs> but, um, like, after she started to gain their trust, um, like, one of my favorite comedic scenes with her is, like, two guys fighting over a rice, uh, rice ball. Like, one of them draws a fucking knife. And then she's just like, yeah, hey, you're scaring the kids, break it up. And then she just starts beating the crap out of these two guys, and everybody's just like, "Stop! Stop! He's already dead!" Like, the, <laughs> like the Simpsons meme. And then the next time you see the two guys, are just like fat lip, missing teeth. It, I I thought that was kind of funny. But um, my favorite overall scene with Mume is um, sort of similar to where Megan's was in episode six, I believe, where she's. She's walking through the boiler room of this facility, trying to get every, trying to get the rails cleared so that the Kodetsujo can get out. But it's where she's chanting this mantra, and it's eerie as hell because it's just like, "Yeah, I am the claw. I cut down everything in my path." And she just starts chanting this, and it's just like it's so good and it's so eerie, and it like it 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 nails that sort of that side of the character really really well. Where she, like, to draw on, like, Clone Wars, it's like, the good soldier follows orders. The good soldier follows orders. Like, with the, uh, with the one clone trooper who gets Order 66 early. I, I, I really like that, and it, it, it's good. But moving on to Robbie Damon. I, I really like how, uh, Robbie Damon plays Ikoma so much differently from Aaron Yeager. Like, Aaron Yeager is just, like, this little ball of angry. Like, at everything and everyone. Just, I'm gonna kill all the Titans! Ah! Which, Bryce Pappenbrook does a really good job with that. But there's, like, a little more subtlety to Ikoma. He he doesn't want to kill all the Kabane. Like, he just wants to live. And... Like, that sense of desperation is something I really got out of Robbie Damon's performance. And he can also be goofy. He he does the yelling really well. Like, that was... Like, that was actually... One of the things I appreciate with the dub overall. I, I know it's really hard on voice actor vocal cords, but... Like, everybody who needed to yell actually yelled. It The tension and the... And the emotion is palpable. Like, I, I I, really hope their vocal cords are okay. I just hope they're okay. And the standout performance for uh, for Ikoma, the, the scene that really kind of gets to me, is the... Um, 
you know, it's it's the same one that I really like from Takumi. It's the second episode where Ikoma is finally reuniting with everybody, and he's just like, yeah, I um, I actually killed a Kabane with my gun, and and he and uh, Takumi are just kind of geeking out, and then he's just like, yeah, wh- one of them bit me, but I'm okay. It's just a flesh wound. It'll heal. <laughs> it's all right. And then, of course, guns get drawn on him and all that, and it's it's a party after that. Oh, actually, you know what? Even better, uh, sort of the more serious side in the same episode when um, when he's kicked off the train and he decides, you know what? Fuck it! I'm, Fuck it! I'm gonna die. I'm gonna go out in a blaze of glory, and then I'm gonna laugh at these people from the afterlife. Just that whole speech as he's pulling down the uh, pulling down the drawbridge so that the Kotetsu Joe can get out, and then he's just sitting on the train platform crying because he's he's glad they made it out. I, I like how that that whole scene is like ended with comic relief, where Mume just straps his leg to like a winch and it drags him. It, it, like it, it's really good, and I I really appreciate that Robbie Damon can do the really serious side of Ikoma. He can also do the really aloof and the really goofy sides too. Like it it is a complicated character, and I'm and I'm glad he just like nailed everything he needed to nail. So good. Like, he may be one of my frontrunners for Best Male Actor as well for this. Like, I, I think he's about on par with Griffin Burns. I, I really wish I could have a runner-up in the Dubbies, though. Because then I could run them both. I get two spots, but that's because I've been here for forever. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so I think that brings us up to final thoughts. So, Jet, why don't you start us off? Okay, um... So, yeah, I had a lot of fun with the show. I mean, sure, it works on Attack on Titan pretty shamelessly, and the last half is, I mean, the last third is kind of a little bit weak. I mean, but it really feels like you're watching a Hollywood zombie blockbuster in anime form. And, I mean, it's really easy to turn your brain off and have fun with it. And, you know, that's where Rocky's really good at that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's a fun time. And, uh, like I said before, I really wanted this happy dub that sounded very distinct from Attack on Titan's. And it's that the Sudiapa is really delivered, as there is a lot of very strong and very unique sounding performances here, and uh, much like the show itself, you know, it's not quite an Attack on Titan level high, but it, 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 it's a great time. And, you know, if you, and if you want to enjoy this series in English, I can't imagine getting something much better than this. Fantastic job to everybody who worked on it. Excellent. Uh, Megan? Uh, I love the hell out of this dub. I like this show a lot. I didn't think I was going to enjoy myself as much as I ended up doing. So, um, and the dub honestly really did help it. Um, I do think this is a crying shame that because of very, very odd licensing rights that the dub is so hard to get a hold of. But I would say this is one of the ones that's a pretty okay blind buy to have. This was fantastic. And I loved every second of it. I thought it was a beautiful, a beautiful dub for the show. It's not going to probably get one of my dubbies. I, I, I think I said this during Devil's Line, which I recorded literally like two hours before I recorded this. Um, this has just been a really stacked year. So it's going to be hard to pick a, a best dub of the year for me. This might be just a little under. Whack? Yeah, um, not much to add. I... 
I actually did like this show a little bit more than I thought I did, but I don't know if I would necessarily say I think it's great. But, uh, yeah, I think the dub really does help a lot. I, I think the commitment for the actors to the show really helped sell the show in even its more silly places. And I just liked... I like the overall, like, feel of the actors because they they have this sort of, like, otherworldliness in, like, some of their line readings and stuff like that, which which kind of helped sell the whole mystical aspect of it. And I don't know, I just, um, the commitment, yeah, just, just the energy that they all had and they brought to their roles really helped sell a show that honestly might have just been really mediocre had it not been for the, the specific cast. If you are going to check it out, I would recommend the dub, just because it's it's a lot of fun. And even when the dub may start to border on cheesy, the show borders on cheesy, so it all just works out fine. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Alright, so, like, needless to say, I really, really enjoyed this dub. Like, a bunch of solid performances. This and Bungo, as, like, the... As the the crunchy roll, we're we're dubbing this elsewhere, and like Funimation's distributing this for us. Like those two shows, they they make a pretty high benchmark for the for this whole Funimation Crunchy Roll partnership deal. And I I am really looking forward to what else this brings us. And I, I really, on an aside, I really hope that Funimation and Crunchyroll can continue to release catalog shows that just have these really good quality dubs. And I mean, even even the ca- the catalog stuff that Funimation has dubbed themselves is really really good. But um, on, I guess for this, it. It really boils down to, would I be willing to suggest that somebody pay about $35 US to to even be able to watch this dub? And honestly, I may be a little biased because I'm from the era where you would pay like 20, 30 bucks for like four episodes on, on DVD and that's... Like, the only way you could get it, because, like, not even piracy was really all that efficient back then. I would actually... I would actually suggest it. Like, I I know 35 bucks, approximately, is, like... It's not chump change, but... I, I really think you get a very good deal out of the money you pay. And if you're willing to shell out like a 15 bucks more for the limited edition, all the better. Cause my God, that, that box is just, that art book is really nice too. And the, and the art book and just like Funimation's production staff on that, the, their art department was just spot on. So like, if anybody from the Funimation Art Department is listening to to this episode for some reason, like, thumbs up, guys. Like, really, really stellar stuff. But, um, yeah, d- despite the rights weirdness, I would definitely suggest uh, picking up the, the Blu-ray. It's, it's really nice, looks really nice. The show looks really, really good when it wants to be, and the dub is spectacular. 
So, again, I kind of went over this in the beginning of the show, but if you want to watch Cabinary of the Iron Fortress, um, you can watch it subbed on Amazon Prime. It's about $120-ish a year now. I think 10 bucks a month. Um, the show is also available for kind of um, streaming on demand purchase on Steam. I, I can't remember the exact price, but it's Steam, so it'll always fluctuate. Like, I, I think it's about 20-ish bucks. Um, and if you'd like the, if you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to watch the dub, it, basically, Blu-ray's your only choice, unfortunately, but it is worth the price. And so, if you would, um, if you'd like to see more of what we're doing, um, you can, you're probably watching this on YouTube, or, you know, we may have finally gotten the, uh, the audio-only feed going. Uh, you can find us on YouTube at, uh, youtube.com slash dubtalkpodcasts. Uh, we also have a Twitter account by the same name, and also Tumblr, and I think Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, Jet, where can we find you on the internets? Um... Real quick, you can find me on Twitter at the Vibega, where I'm, you know, usually talking about anime, cartoons, politics, ranting about something. Um, you can uh, you can also occasionally find some stuff on my blog, Anime Twitter Kitty, where I will occasionally write things. And um, you can also find me on the Phantom Post, where I write seasonal reviews and stuff. This season I'm writing. I do reviews for My Hero Academia. And then you can also find me on podcast over day where we, you know, we shoot the breeze by anime news. Excellent. Uh, Lack? Yeah, well, you can find me on Twitter at Like the Watcher. It's honestly pretty much the best place you can find my stuff. I'm also on YouTube. You know, look for Like the Watcher there. And I do anime reviews. I've fallen a little behind on that, but I'm planning to start up again. Um, and yeah, voice acting. Trying to get back into that. And. Yeah. There you go. Excellent. Megan? You can find me at QueenEra2 on Twitter. I shitpost. <laughs> um, and you can find me on Twitter at Roots of Justice, where I mainly just retweet cute animal pics. Uh, sometimes I talk about anime and video games and all that, and other general fandom stuff. Like, I think you'd have fun giving me, like, a little bit of a follow. Please follow. Um, but from the Dub Talk podcast, I believe we have reached our final destination. Uh, please, please grab your luggage and step off the train in an orderly fashion. Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. Please mind the gap. (laughs) And from us to you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. (laughs) Bye-bye. Get off the train, you little shit. <laughs> uh, so from us at the Dub Talk Podcast to you, we wish you a good night. And otaku wande daba! I still can't believe I made this entire thing without making a Walking Dead Soul Train joke. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs>